guys. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk with Amma and Asantaba. It's been a while since our last episode, but we're here. How's it going, Asantaba? Hi, Adama. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? It's been forever. Then you've been unwell, so, you know. It's, yes. It's, but you're feeling better, right? Yeah, much better than before, so yeah. Oh, it's actually too late to wish our listeners Happy New Year. Is it safe to wish? Because we're like in Feb, aren't we? It's, it's okay because we haven't interacted with them this year, so we can say Happy New Year to them. Okay, well, Happy New Year, guys. It's a new year, and I know that when is a new year, everyone wants to get their finances in check and their New Year's resolutions and, you know, get their business in order. So then we thought, what better way to start the new year than to have somebody who's very accomplished, somebody who's amazing in their field to guide us through that, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, although we, I mean, it would have been great to have done this at the beginning of the year. So we have people, you know, going through their finances very well so they can do mm. their savings and their budgets. But it's never too late. We're still in the second month of the year. So usually the first month, people use up their money to make up for the Christmas spending. So yeah, a good time to have Daryl take us through how to, you know, be financially literate for a want of a better word. I am super excited. So we've got um, Mr. Daryl Harper in with us. Like this guy, if I'm telling you, he will tell you everything you need to know about finances. But do you know why I'm so excited about like having Daryl on? Because I hear a lot of, you know, podcasts now. He listen to a lot of financial shows. And normally you see the people, you know, the financial advisors, the people giving the lectures and the talk. For me, I find that what qualifies them is just the degrees that they hold. And actually maybe yeah. majority of them have been lived through their experience or yes. are not literally practicing what they preach, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And they're just, they're just talking out of the books. I can identify quite a few people, you know, when I start listening, I'm, I just tune up. I'm, like, I'm not interested because it's like, you're just reading out of textbook to me. You know, you're telling me what's logical, but you're not yeah. giving me any real the life experiences. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. And when you, um, that's very true. Because um, looking at Daryl's situation, it's like he has lived through these steps in life. So he has experienced them. So when he's talking to you, you can relate, you can vibe, you can feel the realness out of it. So I know we're like, you know, rumbling on, but listeners, I promise you, you are going to be blown away by this man. If you guys don't know, you guys need to start Googling him up. And he's on Instagram. So, you know, get following. Okay, guys, Mr. Daryl Harper. Howdy. Hello, how are you? We're amazing, phenomenal, in fact. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. We are super excited to have you on our show. Yes. I'm excited to be here. Mr. Harper, if I can just give our listeners a brief background into your beginnings and how you started out. So your story is a complete inspirational one to me. I understand that your parents went through a divorce when you were 15 years old. Like, most families deal with it's a hard time and it really affected your mum and unfortunately your mum became unwell and she was in a coma and as a result you really had to step up at that age to be the man of the house to take up the mortgage and the bills you literally had to grow up so quickly and get the finances in check would you like to tell us a bit about that yeah, so I suppose what happened was is so our house when I was brought up, I was brought up in a school. Actually, I'll come into the Hackney side of it in a bit, but our house was like the central hub for everything. Like our mm-hmm. Christmas parties, birthdays, every week we had family at our house where we had used to have games night. So our, our house was like what brought both families together. So every week there'd be at least thirty people at our house, and this is what I grew up around. I grew up grew up around family, and. Like, my, my parents were, like, the model couple where everyone looked at them. They just wanted, they wanted to be like them. Things happened, that you know, and and um, my dad wanted to have more children. My mum said, we can't afford it. My dad said, we'll work it out. My mum said, we can't afford it. And after 18 years of, of being together, 12 years of marriage, 
at 15 years old, they separated. And then my mum got severely depressed and she later overdosed. Um, and that's when she was in the, the coma for four days. It was tough because at 15 years old, I literally, as you said, I had to become the man in the house. So my dad used to take me to work with him on the boarding site on the weekends, uh, pay me a salary so I could pay the mortgage. So at, at 15 years old, I took on mortgage payments. Then at 18 years old, they transferred the mortgage into my name. So imagine at 15 years old, I, I'm paying for a mortgage. 18 years old, I have a mortgage. And then um, I bunked school or truanted from school for three months just before my GCSE exams. Not, not because I was a bad student. I was just scared that when I came home, I was going to find my mum dead because she, she was quite suicidal at the time. So I used to just hide around a local estate. Just wanted to be close by. I just wanted to be close by. In case something happened, I wanted to be nearby. Uh, and however, I always tell people, look, however, even though I bunked school for three months, when you looked on the school register, they had me marked in as present. So I hadn't been there for three months, but it had me marked in as, as attendant which kind of shows you how, how screwed up the whole educational system. But at the same time, it shows you how gifted and talented that I was because to bunk school for three months and not get cool, that's quite a gift. That was kind of like my upbringing. So for, for about five years, I used to hear my mum cry herself to sleep, like literally for five years straight um, and specific times of the year as well. Like, like on her birthday, she'd cry herself to sleep. Valentine's Day on April the 20th, that was, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but that was the day I was conceived. At my dad's birthday, like, there was those specific times. So for five years, I literally, my life had changed. So I, you know, when it's hard for you to move forward when you're constantly worried about leaving your house, something happens, you're like, if you're going to come home, going to find your mum dead. Yes. So it was hard to move forward. And, and one day, I just had to turn to my mum. And it was, I think it was after about five or six years, I said to her, mum, you've got to get over it now. Pups ain't coming back. Like, pups ain't coming back. It's time to move on. Like going counseling ain't helping. Taking the medication ain't helping. None of those things are going to help. You have to make a conscious decision that you want to change, and you can't bury yourself in what has happened. It's about what is going to happen and what what the, what the future holds. You can't keep holding on to the past because my thing is the only reason why you look at your past is just to see how far you've come, to learn from your mistakes, but not to live there because you can't move forward whilst you're constantly living in the past. Does that make sense? So, but for me. I didn't know any different. All I knew is that I had to make sure the bills were paid. I had to make sure the mortgage was paid. I had to make sure there was food on the table. And that was it. That was just, that was just normal to me. I didn't, know any, I didn't know what else to do other than just be a man and take over the household and, and run the house. And that was it. And you've turned that incredibly well. Like you've won so many accolades. So I know a lot of people that have quite difficult childhoods and unfortunately for them, it doesn't always pan out and become successful as yours has been because obviously that will lead them into other certain situations and lead them into doing things that they don't really want to do. But you are such an inspirational for a black man in today's age. I feel like we need a lot more like you. Yeah, do you know what's interesting? As I was saying at the beginning, I was brought up in Hackney. Yeah, so yeah, I know you're, you're in Ghana. I'll give you kind of to understand what Hackney's like. Okay. So when I was brought up in Hackney, Hackney never used to be called Hackney. They used to call it Crackney because there was some area of drugs, right? And there was a place in Hackney called Murder Mile where there's this one stretch of road where every single week without fail, someone was murdered on this one stretch of road. And I lived about, I lived probably about a, a, a five minute walk and a, and a kind of one minute, 30, one minute, 30 second drive from there. And at the age of 10 years old, someone had approached me and asked me to hold and sell drugs for them when I was 10 years old, which I never did. I never did it. But the reason why I always share that story, I like people to understand, just because you're born on the wrong side of the tracks, it doesn't mean you need to stay there. You can cross over, but the moment you cross over, in my opinion, you have a responsibility to go back and help as many people as you can. So my thing was always about being a, 
I wanted to be I wanted to be a role model. I wanted to be the person that when people walked around Hackney, if I walk through Hackney, people go, that was the guy that changed my life. That was the guy that showed me how to do this. This is the guy that encouraged me to do that. I wanted to be that person because I understood that a lot of, especially black boys, they never had a, a father figure in their life. My dad was always present. So I never I never had to seek love from anywhere else. I didn't have to join the gang to, to get love and attention. I didn't have to do something bad to get love and attention. I had love in my household. So irrespective of what happened to my parents, I always had love. But I realised that a lot of people didn't have anyone to look up to or aspire to, or at least give them that encouragement or positive role model. Because my dad was always my hero. He always been my hero. I've never looked at anyone on TV and said, I want to be like that person. I had a hero that was in my house that raised me. But not everyone has that. So I just wanted to be a, a, a kind of a, the inspiration to other people to to encourage them and to show them that it is possible because you can't you can't you can't trade in your cards whatever cards you're dealt that's what you dealt with you just have to play them you can't trade them in you can't you can't swap them you just got to play them and you can't keep complaining about your situation and then not actively try to change it because then you're choosing to solve the situation so yeah I completely 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 agree okay so if I understand correctly although your parents were divorced. Your, you had you had your father still in your life helping oh, yeah. to raise you okay and what was your greatest inspiration what actually made you become this person looking at what you how you started looking at I mean the things you had to go through at that early stage or age in life what possibly motivated you do you know what um I would say I had I had a solid foundation my parents taught me character, you know, how to have a good character and principles and manners. Even just opening the door for people. There was just, there was, I, you know, as well, I saw how my dad treated my mum. So as much as they separated, my dad, to this day, my dad's never put his hand on a woman. He's always said to me, if you love and respect your mum, you'll never put your hand on a woman. Yes. I've seen my dad tump down. I'm going to use tump, punch. I've seen my dad tump down a man on the street because he saw him hit his woman. My dad just jumped out of his car and tucked the guy down. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to get arrested just a long time ago. <laughs> was the type of man that I grew up with that he just, I was talking my dad wasn't, any man could be a sperm donor, but it takes a real man to be a father. Yeah. yeah? So my dad was present. He was a role model. I saw him work. He had me on the building site with him from the age of four years old, which is like child abuse to be fair. <laughs> but I loved it. But he showed me how to work. He showed me just certain principles of life. My mum was the same as well, but me and my dad, me and my dad were like this. We're like, we're like brother, we're like brothers. Okay. Yeah. And it's only when my mum and dad separated that me and my mum got close as well. And me and my mum are like brother and sister. We're still with the respect, but we 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 are tight. We are so so tight. So I just had a positive environment around my family life was great. So as much as I had all this stuff happening, I had I had so many positive stuff that I could pull on. And sometimes what happens is, yeah, you have the one or two negative things and we focus on the negative, but I saw so many positives. Wow. So can you give a brief background as to how you got into finance? Because I've listened to a few of your talks. And first of all, I'd like to say, you are a naturally gifted speaker, aren't you? I will say because I've seen, I've spoken to a lot of financial, like financial advisors and from people in the financial industry. And I, prior to having my little boy, I worked in the corporate world. So I've I've spoken to a lot of people in this type of world and they're very square, if you understand what I mean. 
they're very, you know, cut around the edges. They just read from script. They read from theory. What is there? And, you know, there's no space for any rim or any movement. But with you, it seems to me that you're a very natural speaker. So how did you realize that gift? And what made you choose to look into the financial sector and about providing people the financial help and aid that they needed? So I was not natural. Um, I used to be very shy, funny enough. Ah, okay. Very, very shy. And I didn't even, I don't even think I like people that much, if I'm honest. It wasn't only like people, I just I just was quite nervous and shy around people. Now, you put me in a room with a thousand people, I was going to say, you put me in a room with a thousand people, I'm nervous because of coronavirus now. But put me in a room with a thousand people, I, I'm, I'm over the moon. Like the more people, the merrier. I think what happened for me is um, I started teaching um, initially. So I started teaching something completely different. I was teaching media, filmmaking, video production. And um, I was studying there as a student, first of all. And after one year, they offered me a job. And I hadn't even finished the course. They offered me a job, do technical support. That was a favour. And then three months later, I started teaching. And I'd worked for 10 years there without a day off sick. Did take one day off sick. 10 years um and what happened and i had the best results as a teacher as well in my department like none of my students ever left with anything less than a merit um because my thing was always i don't care about your background i don't care about what society's labeling you with adhd dyslexia if you're in my class you're a distinction student we need to work harder so my thing was always about talk to people's potential not their position if you talk to people's potential you talk to who they could be not about where they are right now that was always my thing so when i spoke to people about their potential they try to live up to it that was that. That's how I got into teaching, and that helped me kind of improve this whole speaking thing. What happened was a friend. How I got into finance now. To cut a long story short, a, a good friend of mine uh, who I hadn't seen for, and I have to give him a shout out, Dave Ancrow, because uh, if it wasn't for him, I would not be doing finance now. So I always have to, to big him up and show him love because my life wouldn't be in the direction that it is now if he didn't introduce me to somebody. And uh, we met on a course that was absolutely rubbish, uh, but we met on this short course, kept in touch, and um, <laughs> we hadn't seen each other for a while, but we've been. Because he invited me out to, to a wine bar to play pool, not to drink. Um, I can't remember who won the game of pool, which probably means that I lost. And if I lose anything, it means it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But during the game, he asked me a question that changed my life. He said to me, Daryl, have you ever read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad? Yeah. Ah, yeah. I've read the book, yes. And I said, my response was, no, I haven't read it, don't care about reading it don't want to read it, don't like reading books. That was my response. He said, Daryl, but you're a teacher. What do you mean you don't like reading? I said, I teach practical things so I don't have to read that much, right? I said, I didn't even read the book for my English literature exam and I managed to get a D without reading the book. <laughs> Imagine what I've done when I just read the back cover. I was quite proud of my D. No, are you kidding? So was I a joke? Or are you serious? <laughs> All serious, right? Funny enough, I read the book after the exam. It was a really good book, but I don't know why I didn't read it before. <laughs> <laughs> he said to me now honestly go and read the book so he sent me down to a place called Waterstones to get the book and I said now I'm ignorant at this point because I don't read books so he said go down yeah. to Waterstones I'm like why are you trying to send me to a theme park because it just sounded like a theme park to me like Walton Towers this is ignorant yeah. place, right walked in so I remember it was a Friday we had inset day I walked into um, Waterstones in Angel and as soon as I walked in I felt sick because there's all these books around me I'm like ugh all these books <laughs> Because I didn't read. Like, I don't I don't read for leisure. Yeah. Like, if you gave me an instruction manual, I'd read an instruction manual. Because I know once I read that manual, I know how to work. It's over. 
Yeah. Well, I, can't, I don't oh, read for this. Okay. I can't read something with a purpose, right? So anyway, went upstairs. I went to a bookshelf just randomly. And I remember seeing this book, which was pink. And because it was pink, it just stood out. Pulled it out. Lo and behold, the first book I touched is Rich Dad Poor Dad. Pulled it out. So it was meant to be. Meant to be, right? And then I pulled out the second book as well, which was Cashflow Project, the second book. Bought the book on Friday. I started reading the book on Saturday. I finished reading the book on Sunday. I hated my job on Monday. <laughs> and bear in mind, I'd never read a book in my life up until that point. Yeah. My friends phoned me on Saturday and said, Dad, what are you doing? You coming out? I said, no, no, I'm reading the book. They were like, no, but that was seriously, you're joking, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm reading. But now, Dad, we know you don't read. What are you doing? I said, look, call me, call me next week. Hated my job Monday morning because there were some things that were said in the book yeah. You know, it said, there's a, there's two things that stood out for me. It said, um, you spent 14,000 hours in education learning how to go and work hard for money, but nobody teaches you how to get money working for you. That hit me. Because bear in mind, I'm a teacher at this point. And then it says something along the lines of, just because you have the skillistic skills doesn't guarantee you financial success and wealth. So something along those lines. So that morning, when I finished reading the book on Sunday, I literally woke up and I didn't want to go to work because... I felt like all of this time I've been setting my young people up for failure. I've been setting them up to go get a job, to go into university, to get a qualification, knowing that majority of them were not going to end up working in the industry that they had worked for. That's the fact. So that same day, my friend invited the same friend invited me to a meeting where they were talking about finance. And during the meeting, they had a picture of Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Mr. Poor Dead on the screen, I'm like, flipping up. This is all, it's all coming, it's all just lining up. It's all coming together, yeah. And I met someone there who then became a mentor. This guy was, a, a, or not even what he is, and still is a multimillionaire. Um, he, they coached and mentored me in, in the area of finance, got licensed, got qualified, and got regulated by the FCA. And then that was kind of the journey from there. And I've been doing it now. This year, I met with 13 years of teaching finance. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so that, that was kind of the story. And I do uh, the reason why I why I'm the way I am is because I know that finance can be a very scary subject for a lot of people, very taboo. Yes. And also very embarrassing. Yeah. But I, I also learned yeah. that when you can make something fun and enjoyable, people learn quicker, faster, and they enjoy it more. Because it doesn't have to be that scary as long as you can you make it light. Does that make sense? I'm, yeah. Take something that's complicated and make it simple instead of taking something that's simple complicating it and baffling people with it. Absolutely. And you know what, as well, I find that as great as the educational system, you know, can be, I find that they don't teach anything about finance. I mean, mm-hmm. I had my passion for um, trying to keep my finances in check and about investment through a friend of mine at uni, because I was studying law, mm-hmm. you know, I was in law, getting ready to go to law school. And I was talking to a friend of mine, um, and she was very put together, like about her finances, because her parents had spoken to her and she was Chinese, but her parents had spoken to her and encouraged her to invest. And, you know, that just, my ears pricked up when I see her on her phone and her app checking her investments. I'm like, I've got to be part of this. Then I went and educated myself. Then, you know, every time I was, I had money, I saw put money away and then was investing some all throughout uni. And it just, up to this day, I just, I'm so surprised how they can fill you with so much unnecessary knowledge at school. But the knowledge you need to survive and to make a success out of your life, they don't teach that. They don't teach kids how to keep their finances in check. They don't teach you how to save. They don't teach you how to, and I think that's a joke. That is an absolute joke. So Daryl, what would 
would you advise be? Can I go back on one thing you just said? Can I just stop you for one thing? Yeah. You, you said something that reminded me of something. All right, you're just speaking about your friend. I remember me and one of my business partners, we were speaking, because I, I speak in universities as well, so I get called into a lot of universities to speak to young people and speak in churches and I do my own events and all those type of things. And at this event, we had a lot of university students there. And we asked them all this question. And it was not planned this way, right? Half the room were from one particular culture. The other half were from another particular culture. We, like I said, we never planned it. It just so happened. We asked them this question. And we said, what conversations did your parents have with you around the dining room table about money growing up as a child? Culture A, all of them unanimously said, dining room table? What dining room table? <laughs> we didn't have no dining room table growing up as a child. We were told that we should be children to be seen and not heard and don't talk your mouth. You're kidding. That was culture A. Culture B, turn around, all of them said, oh, our parents talked to us about money, finance, business, passive income, entrepreneurialism, all of those things. It just so happened, one of those cultures are doing better than the other, financially. Yes. Guess which one yes. it is? I, it's the Chinese people. It was actually funny enough they're all from China. Oh my goodness. Do you know what? I didn't even yeah. want to say this, but you've just hit the nail on the head. Personally, I always say this. I always say that I feel like the culture that take time out to teach their children about finance, I feel that are the Chinese families. I feel like the Afro-Caribbean families, we lack a lot in that. And there's always an exception. Some of them do. Like There are some clients I've sat down with and they want yeah. their children to sit in, in the meetings because they want their children to hear. Yeah, so if I've sat down with some of my clients that are from Nigeria, Ghana, Sierra Leone, they will have their children sit down in the presentations. There's other cultures as well, but those are the ones that came to mind initially. Yeah, but not all of them do that. Some of them do. Why I find it is is because a lot of parents don't want to talk to their children about money because they don't have none. When they don't have it. They don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so that's it. But isn't that supposed to be the other way around? If I don't have the money, and I want to talk to my children on how to get some, not to you know go on the same path that I went on. So, but you know, I feel like some of the parents are of embarrassment. That's what I think because they're, they're embarrassed about their situation. Because me or you yeah. would think that, okay, it's common sense because I want my child to be better than me and to not make the same mistakes I'm making. So you yeah. have to sit down and listen to this. But some parents, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's embarrassment because they feel that they haven't lived up to the expectation. And if they teach their child for their child to know so much, they'll be like, well, so what happened to you kind of thing? <laughs> you know, where did you kind of go wrong? And they don't know. So even like when I think about growing up and what my dad taught me and my mum, what, what they taught me and what I saw, I realised was right for a particular era. So my dad and parents always told me, work hard, work hard, work hard. And that was for them. Working hard don't work hard, work now. It's not about working hard. It's working smarter, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's always about working smart systems, leverage, distribution. So in that era, yes, working hard worked. Now, I'm not saying you don't work hard, but I'm saying you've got to work smart now. You've got to leverage times. You've got to get passive income. You've got to get all of these things happening for you. So sometimes they don't know what to do, but they also don't know what they did to get them there. So because they're so confused, like, what did I do to get in this situation? You didn't read. And in this day, okay, okay, the jacket's going to come off now. One second. Yes. Right. Listen, now, listeners, it makes me feel so much better because you guys can't see. Right. Mr. Harper <laughs> here is suited and beautiful. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's jacket time off now. He's, he's, he's getting down to the real business. In this day age, and I'm, I'm going to be, this, I don't know what this is going to do to your podcast, right? Because I'm going to say some things now that I may step on some toes so you might get some complaints and stuff, right? Oh, 
Go ahead. We're all real, right, Santiba? Yeah. And if you get some complaints, send, them, send all your complaints to www.nobodycares.com. Right. Go. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> if, I, if what I say is about to offend you, it's going to offend you because there's probably some element of truth. Truth in it. Yes. Yeah. If there's no truth, there's no reason for you to get offended. In this day and age, in this day and age that we live in, where we've got access to the internet, a library, free books, there is no excuse for people to be broke. Yes. No excuse in this day and age because somebody has written a book on what you need to do for you to improve yourself. Somebody has invested 5, 10, 15, 25 years of research and study and experience and done all the hard work for you. And if all you did was what it said in the book, then you'll be on the right. But you know why the people are too damn lazy? Too yeah. damn lazy. That's it. They don't want to do it. Yeah. People like microwave society where everyone wants instant gratification. They want this now. They want this now. They want this now. What is that? No, you need delayed gratification. You need to put in the work. You need to go and read something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why have you got Skype? You need to get rid of Skype and have Audible. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I agree. You know Over 10 years ago, I got rid of my TV, right? Because there was nothing on TV that was feeding my mind with anything positive. All I have is Audible subscriptions and that's it. I I would absolutely agree with you because I am not a TV person. I've had a Kindle for God knows how many years. I love reading. I feel like life is all about, you know, process and education. You have to educate yourself. Education is not static. So it's not like, oh, okay, I was at school and I read a couple of books and that's the end. I'm an adult. No, you have to keep educating yourself. Education is not static. You have to learn something new every single day. So you're you're my kind of man. You're you're my kind of guy. When you talk to the young, well, I'm still young. When you talk to people of my age or people a little bit, you know, younger, and you ask them about their financial situations, you know, on this part of the, the world or, or the country, they have they have this mentality that says that before they can invest or before they can be financially stable, somebody needs to give them some chunk amount of money. You know, they feel like they need to have a huge sum of money before they can do something, you know. So even if they are working and they are they're having salary like a hundred pounds or a hundred Ghana cities, that's more. They feel like they're unable to save because this is a situation. They they have a life which is expensive more than what they are earning at the end of the, the month. You get it. So they end up using the little they get, spending it on unnecessary thing just to keep up a standard so they are unable to say so it's very funny when you see um young people working they are earning monies and all that and they are unable to do anything financially like you you speak to i mean i speak to a couple of people my my mate speaking about savings and they're like oh what am i saving for i don't have a child i'm not married what am i saying they have no idea prior to this podcast i was like i haven't been so well so I was in half day at work. So when I, I'm able to speak to people, like, oh, we're going to have this podcast. What is your take on this? Ah, savings. Evelyn, you stop this. I'm like, ah, so because you're not married, it's you don't scary. have kids. I'm like, you look at them and then you go like, what is going on? Like, it makes you wonder what kind of, you know, people they are. And it's going to continue, you know. We're unable to have a break in this financial life because probably the mother saw nothing wrong with it, passed on to the daughter. The daughter saw nothing wrong with it. So pass. It's very difficult. You realize that they literally have hand, hand to mouth, like we call it. Whatever they get, yeah. they spend. Whatever they get, they spend. Yeah. It's just very sad. 
that now reminds me of something my dad said to me when I was growing up. There's certain things my dad said to me growing up that I never forget. Like, you know, go to bed before I beat you. Not that one. He said, uh, <laughs> he said, he said, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. Yeah. He always said, yeah. if you're standing in a room with your friends and you're the smartest one in that room, you need to go and find some more friends. You need to hang out yes. with that are better than yes. you, that are more successful than you, that make more money than you, have got bigger goals and dreams than you have. And then you tend to grow to that environment. And what happens is yeah. you hang around with people that are the same as them. They're not, they, they may not be progressive. They don't, they don't challenge them uh, mentally. Yeah. And my thing is always, you, you want to be, ideally, you ever want to be the best of the best, the best of the worst, the worst of the best. Yeah. So the best of the best, the best of the worst, the worst of the best. So I can see you trying to get that in your head. So if you, you ideally, yeah. the best. So if you're, if you're the best of the best, you're better than all the rest, essentially. Uh, or you're mm-hmm. the best of the worst. Yeah. But you never want to be, you want to be the worst of the best, I should say. Yeah, so you, you want to be the best of the best or the worst of the best, but you never want to be the best of the worst because the best yeah. you puts you in a space where you think you're doing better than everyone else. But I'd rather be the brokest person on the Forbes list than the richest person in the job center. <laughs> yes. Hashtag Daryl Harper. Yes, yeah? because the Forbes list, at least you know you're in good company. Right. <laughs> right. And if I'm at the I'm hanging around with people that are going to show me how to raise my game. If I'm on the bottom of the floor because I want to go and speak to people that are a couple that are a couple levels above so I can find out what their mentality is and their mindset is. If I'm hanging around with people, what can you possibly tell me about becoming broke? There's nothing you can tell me about becoming wealthy because you have a potentially have a broke poverty mindset and your broke poverty mindset ain't going to get me to wealth. So why am I talking to you? Like, what is the return on investment in the time that I'm investing with you? Nothing. So we just need to not talk. We need to limit our conversations. And I need to go, unless you want to progress, unless you want to grow, unless you're thinking about, I want to, I'm not happy with where I am, but I want to get better, then cool, we can talk. But if you just want to stay there, then stay there. But I'm not part of your company. No, we, we don't need to talk. you got to limit your conversations with people like that because all they're going to do, oh, woe is me. No, 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 no. Then people are poison. Complaints coming in. <laughs> this is the one. We're all about controversy. We Listen, we're about keeping it so real and so raw. Like, and our listeners are very much used to that. So, Daryl, what would you say to someone who had no knowledge about finances? Where would you, what would you advise them to do? Like, what is their first point of call? They're earning an income. How much would you say they would have to put away each month to save? Or what would you say to them in order for them to become financially savvy, basically? So someone with no financial knowledge at all, what is the first step? All right, there's a couple of things. First of all, I believe that everyone needs a coach and everyone needs a mentor. Yeah, everyone needs someone who's a couple steps ahead of them that can bring them to the next level. Everybody needs that. Like every co- if you if you have a coach that if you have a mentor that doesn't have a mentor, I ain't listening to them because who's speaking into their life? Do you know what I mean? Like every mentor that I have has a mentor that mentors them. If they don't, what am I talking to them for? Yeah, because no one's talking to your in to your life. No one's helping you grow. So how can you help me grow? Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is. Uh, and also make sure you've got a mentor. You said something at the beginning, but you said um, you said something about me that you, or you know, you wasn't about me. Things talking about in general that you got to practice what you preach. One thing to me, I don't practice what I preach. I preach what I practice. Yeah, because you practice what you, if you preach what you practice, that means you do it first and then you talk about it. Yes, amen. I like that. So I only talk about stuff that I do or I have done. I don't. I ain't, I ain't talking about it. So you've got to find a mentor that actually is preaching what they practice or have practiced. Yeah. As long as they're a couple of steps ahead of you, they can leave you. Know? 
Um, the other thing is, I think before we get financially savvy, it's about identifying what your goals are. Because if you, all, all money, I tell people all, all money is, is money is an amplifier. Yeah, all, good people with money will do good. Bad people with money will do bad things just on a bigger scale. So what money really does is it just magnifies who you are and it, and it, and it, so it exposes and uh, expresses your personality more of what it already is. So, but if you have no goal for the money, then you have no you have no desire to save the money. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. So pe- people don't save unless they have a reason to save. So you meet people. Anyone will tell you. Majority of people that want to get married, right? And they've got to save like twenty grand of money in a year, year and a half, or two years. They've never saved twenty grand in their life before. <laughs> but the moment they need to get married, suddenly the money comes out from somewhere. Yeah. Right? And I tell you why that is. A couple of reasons why. Number one. They have a burning desire. They have a goal to get married that burns inside. It's something they really want, first of all. Because they've got this thing that they really want, it, it consumes the majority of their thinking. They're, obs- they're healthily obsessed by the thing that they want. And because they're obsessed to get about getting married and it's consumed them, then they're going to do everything they can to do it. They put, they put that one in the atmosphere. The other thing they do is they set a date. And they set a date of when they want to get married and they tell everyone about it. So now, if they don't get married on that date, right, there's a whole different thing with embarrassment involved that, listen, we get, I'm getting married on this date. When that date comes, if nobody gets married, you're like, what happened? Boy, we didn't have the money. But they told everyone. So what they do is they start telling people before, the, they tell people before they got the money that they're getting married on this date. So what you've done is now committed to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you've seen it and you've also committed to it and now we put it in the work. So the first thing, you've got to have a goal. Yeah, because if you've got a goal that burns inside, the discipline is a lot easier. That's the first thing. You've got to find out what that goal is. So, and I'm not talking about no local stupid goal. Yeah, I'm talking about I'm talking about what they call like a, a guy called Andrew Carnegie, one of the wealthiest people of his time. It's also about having something we call a CCMP, a clear, concise mental picture. So a clear, concise mental picture of what you want. You've got to have a goal inside you that burns inside, that fires you up. Get emotional about it. It can't just be, oh yeah, I want to buy this. It's got to excite you. Do you understand what I mean? It's got a. It, it literally the thought of not achieving it just upsets you, isn't it? It can't. It can't be a goal that you're like, no, I get, I get, I don't, I don't. It's got to be one that you're gonna, you're gonna have to. That's the first. Most people don't ever do that. Once you've got the goal and you've got the culture, you've got the goal. Now it's about putting systems in place. It's putting systems in place that are essentially automated that don't require you to be involved, i.e. standing orders. Most people don't ever do that. And then you pay yourself first. What most people do, tax man sees your money, the mortgage company sees your money, the rent man sees your money, the gas and electricity, everybody else sees your money but you. So you work for 30 days to pay all your money out and you don't pay yourself. If you worked for your employer for 30 days and he never paid you, you would cuss. Yeah, I've not actually ever thought about it like that. That is such a good way to think about it, yeah. But you, but you work for 30 days and don't pay yourself. And you're like, oh, it's okay. No, no, no. As soon as you get paid 10% of your money, oh, no, this depends on what your beliefs are. Obviously, 10%, if you go to church, then you're 10%, you tithe your 10%. Yeah, you reap what you sow. Yeah, uh, it's called cause and effect. You must be a giver. Yeah, but that's kind of up to you. I'm not going to preach to you about what you should do with about tithing. That's kind of you and, you and God. So, but then you've got to take 10% of your money. You've got to pay yourself. That money just goes there for your emergency fund. If you if you if you were out of work and you can't survive for at least twelve months, you don't have enough money to set aside. Ideally, twelve months. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, 
when I left my job, when I sat my boss, I sent him a picture of Anna Sugar on The Apprentice, and underneath the picture it said, you're fired. And I emailed that to him. Wait, hold on. You sacked your boss. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I CC'd over 600 members of staff. So every member of staff will copy in the email. What was their response? So I'll tell you why I did that. I did it because I'd worked there for 10 years without a day of sick. And when my grandfather passed away and I asked for two days off, they turned around and said, no. He said, you're only entitled to one day. You're kidding me. No. Nope. And then the next month, my, my cousin passed away. And I ain't talking about no distant cousin. This is close cousin. Yeah. And, and I asked them to attend the funeral. They said, no. They said, if it's not a parent, a grandparent or a sibling, you're not allowed to attend. However, that was the best thing they ever did to me. Because it, sometimes you have these pivotal points in life where someone something happens, you have to choose whether you're going to let, let that thing make you or break you. And I chose to say, all right, that's, I've worked here for 10 years of my life. I've never had a day off sick. I'll come in with illness, sickness, pain, injury, and I've shown up every single time. And I ask for compassionate leave when you're not giving it to me. All right, I'm going to leave my job. So that literally, two days later, I wrote my resignation letter. I had it stuck on my wall for the 3rd of December, stuck on my office wall waiting to post it. I had the other email with the word you're fired in it and, and sitting in my art box, dated to send on the 3rd of December. So no matter what happened, that was getting sent automatically on that day. But then the next months, building up my income, to, uh, building up my savings and investments to make sure I had money there. And, uh, and when I left, <laughs> when I left, I got picked up in a Rolls Royce um, and, a, and a red carpet. Yeah, so one of my, my mentors drove to college in a Rolls Royce to roll it out. Uh, and I left in a Rolls Royce and a, and a red carpet. Oh, wow. That's a good way to end it. <laughs> In a grand style. <laughs> it's a good way. Because I said, you know, if you're going to slap your boss, you make sure you go out and come down. Yeah, people always ask me, Daryl, did you, but Daryl, did you attend the funerals? I said, of course I attended the funerals. It's family. I called my employer in the morning and I called in sick. And they said to me, Daryl, what are you sick with? I said, I'm sick of working here. Go and put that on your records as a medical <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, and you know why I did that as well? This is the key reason why I did that. I wanted to burn the bridge. Yeah. I didn't want no I didn't want no escape because what happens with most people is I believe you need to have a safety net in the life of certain things. But what happens is yeah. sometimes when you got that safety net, you don't go full out because you know that you got an escape route. Where where I yeah. like if I sack my boss like that, yeah. there is no way that I can go back to them <laughs> and show your face. Uh, I could I could never go back there for employment. I could never go back to them and ask them for a reference. I can't do it because of how I left the job. So if I burn, I'm not telling everyone to do this, by the way. If I burn the bridge, I've only got two options. The one option is full, or the other option, I'm going forward. So if those are my only two options, then down isn't the one for me. I have to succeed. So I, I stacked up two yeah. for cash. So I did I did my 10% plus to build my emergency fund. So when I left, the job, yeah. I knew no matter what happened, I've got two years to make my business work. And that's what happens with most people. You're not prepared to burn the bridge. You're not prepared yeah. to leave the faith. You're not fully committed. Like, when I'm talking about I'm fully committed, I has to work now. I've got no choice. No choice. No choice. But do you know what? I like to like go in much deeper. Generational wealth. This is 
been coming up a lot, especially I find in the media and also for the Black community. I think it's something new that probably started in 2020 where everybody wants to know about generational wealth and building their generational wealth. And I messaged a few of my friends when you agreed to come on the show. I'm like, okay, so what would you want us to talk to Daryl about? You know, what's, what must interest you about your finance? And they mentioned generational wealth. So Daryl, you know, for people that keep hearing the words generational wealth, what is it? How can they build on it? And where do they start? Okay. So you, you have a choice. You have a choice of whether you're going to leave generational wealth or you're going to leave generational debt. That's your choice. Most people, unfortunately, leave generational debt to their, to their loved ones. To do. That's, that's, the, that's the unfortunate thing. So we're talking about, from a, and I don't know the beliefs of everyone on here, but from a, from a scriptural point of view, it talks about you should leave an inheritance for your children's children. So it's not about just leaving something for your children. We're talking about building a, a legacy for your children's children. And if you want to go deeper, then let's go for children underneath that as well. Yeah. So to do that, though, there's a couple of things you need to do. Number one, you've got to, you've got to make sure that's, that's actually what you want to do. And there's a certain practical things you need to have in place. Like, do you have a will? Do you have a trust? Do you have life insurance? Do you have these basic things in place? So let's go through the life protection insurance side of it first. Yeah. Because that is one of the quickest ways to inject wealth into your family. Yeah. So the quickest ways to do it. And most people, unfortunately, a lot of black people think, oh, well, I'm, I don't want to take out no life insurance because I take out some life insurance. This is the wickedest one I hear. I don't want to take out no life insurance because if I take out life insurance, I might die. Do you know what? This is such an African thing, you know? I swear that. I've had so many Ghanaians say this. No, it's so true. I think I told you this before, right? Yeah, very true. Very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. If you take out life insurance, you're going to die anyway. Yeah. yeah. So why would you? And this this now I'm going to go deep. Man. So now I'm starting to undo my buttons on my shirt because I don't know what's going to happen. Wait, hold on. Let's just undo the cuffs here. Right. <laughs> this, is, this is it. So... The reality is, for most people, is, as I said, life insurance is one of the quickest ways to get wealth into their family. But yet, most people won't do it. Yeah, most, most people would rather insure their car, they would insure their home, mm-hmm. they would insure their mobile phone, they would insure their laptop, their freezer, their fridge, their dog, their cat, their hamster, the goldfish. Everything else is insured. But the person who pays for all of those things. If that is not foolishness, I don't know what is. Now, it could just be a lack of education and knowledge. I get that. But once you know better, you should do better. Because for you to not do better when you know better is actually now quite selfish. I don't know about in Africa, but do you know how much the average funeral costs over here? Uh, isn't that 10 grand? An average of 70 to 10 grand. Now, some of them will say it's about three to five grand and what have you. Oh, it's actually the same in Africa. Now, that also depends on where you come from. And, and why I say that? Because stewed chicken and rice, ebba, fufu, jollof rice, all of those things cost more than cucumber sandwiches. Yeah? So culturally, <laughs> yes. no, do you know what I mean? Culturally, my best friend, my best friend passed away. It was his, his two-year anniversary of his death on the 6th of February, so a couple of days ago. He died on his birth. He died on his birthday. Yeah, two oh, years wow. ago, right? Nice. And um, his funeral cost twenty-eight thousand pounds. And it wasn't extravagant. He had we, we, like in the West Indies, we have something called nine night. Yeah, where people show up to your house for nine nights, eating you out of the house and home. Yeah. Oh, and showing their respects. Um, but we have we have people that do that. So he had five hundred plus people at his nine night. He had over a thousand people at his funeral. 
the, the, the funeral That's party, wild. they wanted eight grand before they even accepted the burial. Then you got to spend four grand on the tombstone the next year. Why would you leave the burden of 10 grand worth of debt for someone else to deal with? Where all you had to do was pay 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 pound a month to make sure your loved ones didn't have to struggle financially because you were too selfish to put something in place. And I will say selfish because like I said, it is selfish for you not to do so. I had a client of mine back in February, 2009. She approached me and wanted to take out some life cover. Uh, I met her in February, 2009. In March, the next month, she was diagnosed with cancer. In November, the same year, she died of cancer. She left over £100,000 to four children under the age of 16. Now, that that, that £100,000 didn't bring her back. But what it did, it gave them a better start in life. Because the reality is you cannot replace a loved one, but you can replace their income. And if you say you love love your family, you want the best for them, does that that change when you're dead? No. No. You're going to spend 50p a day or 60p a day on a pack of crisps and a drink and those things. Or you want to spend 30p a day, because that's essentially how much it could cost, 30 to 50p a day, a pound a day, to make sure your family's ready. Yeah. How selfish is that when you know that? Yeah. But your, your cat's insured. <laughs> your dog's insured. So that's the first thing. Let, let's stop the foolishness. And let's stop, yeah. let's stop acting like, oh, I'm never going to die. Yes, you are. I'm never going to get sick. Because no, no one that gets cancer thinks that they're going to get cancer. Yeah. yeah. Some healthy people get cancer. There's no other people that die too soon and too young that were healthy. Things can happen. A friend of mine, his, his mother-in-law was walking down the street, minding her business. A truck was turning the corner and mounted the curb and severed her in half. Gosh. Oh. And she's walking down the street, minding her business. She didn't plan that. You don't think that's going to happen, but yet you don't put anything in place. That don't make no sense to me. That's, that's the first thing. We were talking about, yeah. about preparing preparing each other. And if, you, if you're if you blessed and you've got parents that are still alive and they ain't taking out some insurance, I'll be prepared. you should be prepared to pay for it yourself because at some point, yeah. somebody's going to have to pay for a funeral. If they go first, I'd rather pay 20, 30 pound a month now than pay 10 grand later. Yeah. I thought we could throw that one out there. So that's the first thing. Let's, let's get the basics in. You know what the joke is? You know what you find about people that have a poor mentality? Yeah. They do the complete opposite to people that have a rich mentality. So wealthy people will actually take out life insurance. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like these people have yes. money has still got insurance. Like if you fifty, I was just like listening to Fifty Cent's book, right? Really good one. I heard the first part of it. It's like the gangster version of Stinking Grow Rich, from what I'm hearing. So from the first kind of chapter I've listened to, even in his book, he talked about him having life insurance. See, that's just like the basic step. It's like the easiest thing you can do, yeah. Because essentially, what you're doing is you're offsetting the risk to somebody else to pay for it. So if you don't save the money or invest the money you don't have the money by the time you die, you've offset the risk where some other company will say they'll pay for it for you for a premium. Yeah? Why not? That's the first thing. Second thing, you've got to have a will, you've got to have a trust. You've got to have both. So what a will does, is a, will, a will basically says, this is where I want all of my assets to go. What the trust does, it stops the government from taxing your estate at 40%. So you may think, oh, I've got a million pound uh, property that I want to leave to my children as a legacy. They don't get a million pound property. What they get is a 40% inheritance tax. So they can actually end up in a situation that's worse financially because you haven't done the simple thing as just get a trust in place. So that's quite easy to do that. But then also the will is important because for a couple of reasons, other than just knowing where you want your stuff to go. Like if you've got dependents, if you've got dependent children, like if you die prematurely, don't assume that your children end up with a loved one. That's, that's not what happens. Your children actually become property of the state. 
So it means that anyone can claim your children. Like your next door neighbor, you can't stand, who won't lend you no sugar. <laughs> they can claim your children. Do you understand what I mean? So like those basic things. These are foundational things. So when people talk to me about, oh, how do I build wealth? Why am I talking about building wealth? We can't even do the basics and the foundation. Like, let's get, you want to you you build, how can you build the roof and you ain't even got no, you ain't even got no foundation? <laughs> yeah, no, that is true. And also, you got to understand, when people pass away, the things that happen, there's an emotional loss, financial loss, there's grief time, there's grief time. Uh, so you've got to make sure that you have all of these things in place, but you have to be purposeful and you have to plan for those things. As, as well as leaving the money and all of those things, you've got to leave them with the education because the worst thing, the worst thing you can do is get a person with, with a poverty mindset money. Because if you've got the poverty mindset, you don't, like, if you if you hear about people that win the lottery, when they win the lottery, typically a lot of them, in the two or three years later, they're in a situation that was worse before they met the lottery. Well, they got money, didn't cut, the money didn't bring any additional work, education or information or knowledge. They just got more money with the same mindset. If you're a spender before, you're a spender now. So you also got that financial literacy and that financial education and so they know that when they get the money, they receive the money, they know what to do. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I I completely agree with you that it is all about the mindset. It is definitely all about the mindset. You can't you can't gift somebody a mindset. They've had they've they're gonna have to go out and educate themselves and gain that mindset. And do you know what? I'm gonna take this back to basics. And this is this is something I actually realized when I was in uni. My friend and I used to have a good old laugh about this, actually. You know, when you're in uni, we're like keeping up appearances. You know, they'll take out their student loans and then they'll be out trying to impress with like their designer bags or their latest pair of like, you know, like limited edition night trainers. That's like five in the world. And my joke has always been, and I stick by this up to now, if you look at people like, for instance, all these billionaires, like Steve Jobs, the dude wore the same pair of, I don't know, Reebok trainers for like 20 years. I find that the people that I don't have are always the ones that's keeping up appearances. They call it keeping up with the Joneses, and the Joneses are just as broke too. Uh, that people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. So their whole life is on credit. Like their, their cars on PPP, their house is on mortgage, their clothes are on finance, their hair is on lease. Yes. The whole life is just on finance and you can't do anything because you ain't got no cash. You got no credit, no good credit. Absolutely. I, it's, it's just a joke. For me, I don't know, Daryl, correct me if I'm wrong. When people always talk about, oh yeah, I've got mortgage. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the end. I mean, as, as much as I respect the fact that you've made that massive step, and got onto the property ladder, for me, if you can't afford your those monthly payments, that house can be taken away from you just as quick. But for me, I don't rest until that mortgage is paid off. Ghana is completely different because Ghana, we're all, they're all about the mentality of building. You need to build your property. You need to eat. So after that place, I think they've got the right balance. It's all about complete ownership right from the start. But I find that like in the UK, you know, it's all great to get on the property ladder, but there's a misconception Especially, I think, because kids are not taught about finances and about mortgage. It's not, it's, that's not the end deal. You've got to work smarter and harder to pay off that, to claim it as yours. Mm-hmm. 100%. Why, why don't you have an investment property that pays off for the, the one that you live in? That would be it. You have, you have assets that pay for your liabilities. The house you live in is a liability because it doesn't bring you any money. It takes money out of your definition. An asset got to put money into your pocket. A liability to take money out of your pocket in the simplest terms. So, if you had another house that paid for the house that you live in, that would make more sense. 
now I'm li- now I'm living free. Oh, how about I rent out a room that's available? So then the person that's living in the spare room is paying my mortgage for me. I don't want no one else in my house. I don't want no one else living. Just rent out of the room. Keep your mouth shut. Rent the room out to someone that's decent. <laughs> no, because people then barling poverty, barling poverty. I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. But then you got but you got walking wardrobe. You better just put that stuff in the suitcase, rent out the room. And pay the mortgage off. Don't buy, don't buy property when you got options to, to to change. You just you weren't comfortable, but sometimes you got to do the uncomfortable things first until you go back to comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Then what would be your biggest advice that you could pass on something that maybe someone has taught you about finance that you can you can share with our listeners out there? Um, they're all going to be really basic because I find that the simplest things are the most effective things. Yeah. But what people do is they take the most complicated things and make them, they take the most simple things make them complicated or it has to sound complicated for them to believe it. Number one, spend less money than you earn. That's it. Um, I said about having a coach and a mentor already. You've got to have multiple income streams, um, diversify your income, have be, have multiple income streams in sensible industries. Like certain industries right now that just make sense in it. Finance, can't go wrong. People are always going to need to deal with money. Technology, can't go wrong. Like, do you know what I mean? Those type of industries are, are going to be are perfect to be in, great to be in. So those would be the main ones. Uh, have a system to, to put your money away. Save at least 10% of your money. Invest at least 10% of your money. And also, do you know the other thing I'm going to say as well? What most people do, I find, is they have goals that match their income. So if your income, for mm-hmm. example, is £1,500 a month, I'm going to have £1,500 a month gold, unless I'm doing it on credit. Do you know what I mean? Right? My thing has never been about having goals that match my income. My thing is, I'm going to set the goal, and I'm going to make my income match my goal. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to have an income that matches my goal. So if I have a goal that uh, you people want to go on this big extravagant holiday, but don't end up in a big extravagant holiday, you end up in Bognor Regis. Nothing wrong with that. That's where you end up. I want to go on a cruise. We don't end up on no cruise. You end up in some pedal boat down in the parks. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what you wanted. So my thing is, have the goal and make the income to achieve the goal. Don't limit yourselves by, by what's going on in your mind. That's one of the other things. Um, you got to learn about compound interest. Because if, if your money is not compounding in your favour, it's, comp- it's compounding against you. So it's got, you've got to learn about compound interest and how to get it to work in your favour. And you've got to just make more money. Like There's no magical way of doing it. Yeah, you've got to have a budget and don't, don't overspend and all but at the same time, I'm sometimes just like, there's only so much you can cut back by. There's only so much money you can cut back. At some point, you just need to go and generate some more. Okay. And you can't sit there for for the Christians on here. You can't just sit there and pray for more money. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. It says knock, seek, and ask. Those are all adjectives. They're all doing words. It means you must do something. It doesn't say pray, sit, and wait. Yes. Amen to that. I want to sit there and pray for stuff. Yeah, great. God can put it there and whatever. But what God normally does, he gives you a plan. He gives you an opportunity. So you sit there praying for more money and then the opportunity comes your way for you to make more money and then you sit there and you pray about it. And you want to pray about the prayer to see if the prayer that you prayed on was the right prayer in the first place and can God come down in the image and speak to me and tell me that was the opportunity for me to listen. You prayed for it. When it comes, go and run with it. Why are you praying again for? That's the opportunity you prayed for and then when it comes, you want to go and pray some more. The nonsense. Yes, I feel like people are not um, active enough when it comes to grabbing the bull by its horns. 
and taking action into their own life, especially when it comes to finances. I feel like there's just too many excuses that people like to give. You know, I mean, no one wants to be broke, but you can't have it on a silver platter. You have to go out there and put the grind in, put the work in. Absolutely. You've got to do inventory of what's happening in your money. Strategy. You've got to do a budget. Find, for, actually find out what you're doing with your money. Find out where is it going, where you spend. Who are you giving your money to? Give it to someone. Yeah, so who are you giving it to? Because if you ain't giving it to you, somebody else is taking it. So what? Where you need to know where every single penny of your money is going on a monthly basis. Do, do that first. Like, like, let's start from where we stand. Read some books, listen to some audios, and then structure it. Like even even if you can't save ten percent of your money, my thing is if you can't save ten percent. Start somewhere, even if it's one percent, then two, three, five, seven. But it's more important that you build the habit of saving. But also understand. When you save money, you're not saving money for it to grow. You're saving it just to be held. So you've got to invest it if you really want it to grow. But I, I just feel like some people just, you know, run out with their money every time without putting, they don't have priorities. Mm. You know, they can't make plans yeah. and stick to it. They would, they assume they have plans. But uh, when the money comes into the account or hit their hands, they, they run with the money before they know everything is gone. And they're unable to give accounts to what they use the monies for. Yeah. So I was quite happy when you mentioned um, the budget, which is very good. And also, I mean, from this side of the world, again, I speak here, I mean, from this side because I'm here in Ghana. Um, majority of the youth are, like what Yvonne, uh, what Adama said about the whole the excuses thing. They really yeah. depend on the government to create opportunities for them. So they always blame the government, you know. I mean, starting your own business with a little that you have, as little as probably 20 Ghana cities or like 50 pounds or 10 pounds, you can start as little as that. Mm. But they always have reasons to blame the government or they always have reasons. They're very dependent on family also. If you are, mm. if you happen to be the one with money in the family or if you're doing well, then you have the other family members expecting that you, you assist them, you come through for them. That is... um. It's very unfortunate, but that's the, the trend in this part of the world where they feel like um, you're obligated to come through for all the family members. So nobody wants to do the hard work because oh, their uncle or their auntie or their sister somewhere has something going. So they wanted to feed into it. They don't think about the, the how to help or how to make that business, you know, grow. All they want is to feed from it. So it gets very difficult in the side to... For, I mean, to have a financial breakthrough, let me put it that way. Because the mindset, the way it's programmed, is very small. Like, they're they are not matured mentally when it comes to that aspect of it. They feel like somebody is responsible for them, you know. So two things came to my mind when you were speaking about that. So I'm going to touch on the first thing first, which is about responsibility. And I think that's one of the biggest things that most people need to do. They need to take 100% responsibility for where they're at financially. So you can't do the blame game. Oh, it's my mom, it's my dad. There's only so long you can yeah. Because when you break down the word, I say this to people all the time, when you break down the word responsibility, it's responsibility, which means you have the ability to respond. Yeah. yeah. Now, if yeah. we take 100% responsibility, that means you are in 100% power because it means you have choice. Mm -hmm. changes. The moment yeah. you don't take responsibility, you now become powerless and you push that responsibility onto somebody else. So you're at the effect end of things happening to you as opposed to the causing. And you want to be in the area where you're at the core of everything because that's now up to you. So it's about taking 100% responsibility and stop the whole blame game. Like that's you're an adult now. It's your fault, isn't it? You can change it, right? Like stop the whole blame. Like grow up. So many complaints are going to come in. Um, 
anyone's got any complaint, I am not gonna apologize for anything that I say because I actually mean it. Like I honestly I so I'm not gonna apologize for it. Um so, so <laughs> sometimes you need to hear it, innit? Like sometimes you need to hear it raw and real. That is true. It's like pulling the plaster off, isn't it? Like yeah. I'm the type of person I'm not even gonna put a plaster, I'm just gonna pour salt straight into the wound. <laughs> and make you feel it. Like, why why put a plaster? Let's 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 burn it. All right. The other thing you said, um, that it made me think, say say no. Say no. You was talking about um people feeling like they always have to give to family and give to this one, give to that one. And my my question is, are you helping or are you hindering? Yeah. You can keep giving, giving and giving to somebody. But you're not helping them. You're hindering them because you now become their bank account or their ATM machine because you always give. So what you end up doing is giving yourself into debt. So you're giving at the expense of your own security. When you're giving to them, you've just stolen money from your children's university pot. You're giving to them, you've just stolen from your children's home deposit. Now, I'm not saying you don't give. I'm not saying don't give at all. But it's about are you helping or hindering? So sometimes you, know, yeah. you have to say no to be. I had to do that to someone once. I, had to keep, I kept lending a man, kept lending money. I thought, you know what? No, I'm not helping you, you know, because you're not getting any. You're not getting any better with your own money. So I must work harder to fund you. No. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm having to work my ass off, study, read, study, read, work all, all around the clock to fund you while you're just chilling. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. That's that can't work. They weren't chilling, they were working, but I've had to put in extra time and work to fund, this wasn't, just so you know, this wasn't a relationship, this was a family member, right? Oh, I was about to say, Daryl, you're a bit tight in a relationship. No, no, it's not a relationship, it's a family member. So, but when I turned, and one day I just I said, no, I'm not going to give you the money because you know what? I'm not helping you because you keep coming back. It's not that I don't want to give, it's because there's enough opportunities out there where you could go and make the money that you keep asking me for. But do you know what? I've become, I have grown to become that person because I remember when I was much younger, I just started working. Great job, great income. And, you know, family members would, would, would ask you for stuff. And at the beginning, I had this willingness to give because obviously you want to help people in situations. And and then I think I started to be testament to it. It got to a point where I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. You know, I started saying no. And then, yeah, obviously you, you would hear from other people that, oh, this person says you're tight or this person. But I became almost immune to it because it was like, there was stuff, you know, people apparently in Ghana were saying that, oh, people from the UK are so tight. Like, you know, and I'm like, I've got every right to be tight with my money because when I'm working those hours and those long nights in that corporate building, what you'd be sleeping pin yourself off no way Asantibas is much of a giver as I used to be and I'm telling her look you need to put yourself first because in the Ghanaian culture they'll just take 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 and take mm. they don't understand that as soon as they see you're doing well mm-hmm. financially they don't care about you and how you're paying your bills or how you're saving oh my cousin's doing really well my sister's doing well my daughter's doing really and all they do is just just they become a leech they suck from me and I always used to tell her listen you've got to be your biggest advocate and look after number one because what happens when you need the money none of these people are going to be lined up to help you you need to save for yourself for health wise education wise for rainy day you just have to worry about you and like i'm really glad we're talking about this because i think this is massive 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 in the african culture especially the Ghanaian culture where everyone expects you or the person I didn't want the family to be the one to hand out. Nobody wants to go out there and work. And when you say no, it's like you become 
like an enemy overnight. And it's like, no, you know what? I'm actually doing you a favor by saying no because I'm because I've said no. I'm making you think about your next move and what you're going to do to gain that money. Yeah, I'm not saying don't give. I'm not saying don't help. But there's got to be a limit. Yeah, there's, there's got to be a limit. And people can't keep sucking you dry. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's always an exception to a rule. But people can't just keep sucking you dry while you're while you're working hard to provide for yourself and for your goals and dreams. But actually, your goals and dreams are ending up stalled because you're constantly giving to someone else. And then at some point, you end up just resenting them. Yeah, resenting the fact that you did it. So you're not even giving it. You're not even giving cheerfully anymore. It says you must. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not giving it cheerful then I'm not giving it that's what I think if it's not cheerful giving then I will happily keep it there's people that are friends of mine that's needed money needed some help and I've gone here you go don't even worry about it and I've cheerfully given it to them the moment it comes with any form of I feel some sort of resentment or annoyance or what have you I ain't giving it because I'm just, just going to jar me so I'm not giving it what I will give you though I'll give you, come, come and work with me let me show you how to make some money so you can go and make some money for yourself I'll give you that opportunity do you know what? That is such a good... I heard that advice as well. It's it's so funny that you're saying this because I was listening to somebody um, on someone's podcast as well. And then they were saying that, you know, her and her husband, they are tired. So they've got this rule now. They don't lend. They don't lend because when they lend to people, they become the enemy when it's time to give me back my own money. So what they say to someone is, you know what? We've got business. You know, you can come and work these hours to earn the money that you need. And I feel like that is so... That is so true. <laughs> that is so, yeah. You don't turn around and say no. They're cool, you don't want it that bad because if you wanted it that bad, you go and work for it. You go and work for it. If, if that was me and I needed it, I'd be like, all right, cool. What do I need to do? Cool. Come clean my yard, whatever it is. Yeah, but you're going to, because you know what? You're going to earn the money that you want. You need the money all the time. All right, do you know what? I need someone to clean my house. No, I ain't doing that. All right, cool. You don't need the money then, innit? <laughs> cool exchange. Do you know what I mean? I'm giving to you. You're not giving nothing back to me. You're, you're making withdrawals, but you're giving no deposits. Oh, that was harsh. But I was put on though. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So what would you say to people that are, you know, I hear there's a lot in the Ghanaian communities or when they get to a certain age, you're like, all the aunties are like, oh, I'm too old to save. Like, oh, I'm too old. In your mind, and obviously in your expert opinion, do you think there's an age limit where you're like, okay, so now or do you think everyone can benefit from saving and putting something away yeah i was reading something the other day mm. it said most men i don't know what it was what it said about women but it said most men come into their own uh, about mm-hmm. 40. you might change that because of technology what have you but it said between the age of 40 and 60 is when most men really start to make their money like mm-hmm. that created kfc mm-hmm. whatever his name is i remember his name i think he became a multi-million colonel whatever it is isn't it? yeah 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 it was in his 60s before he Became a, a millionaire. Wow. Yeah, so it's at that age of 40. You, so you're never too old, yeah, um, and it's never too late. I, I mean, unless, like, kind of on your deathbed. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing at that. But I, my thing is also to get to a point where you do a lot of it when you're younger so you can enjoy it when you're older. Yeah. Yes, but that's my plan, yeah. And the flip side of that as well, I just want to enjoy it now. I don't want to defer my happiness to a later time in life. And like, I want to be happy in my now and my present. So, is that I'll make it now and I'll save it, invest it now, but I'm also going to enjoy some of it now because I don't know how long I've got. Yeah, that's true. Like, money's going away from for later on in life, so I know that there's going to be money always there for that, assuming I get there. And if I don't get there, when and if I'm blessed to have children, that pot of money yeah. will for them and they'll live off the interest of that. That's the plan. I make money now that, that sustains me. 
but also have money set aside. This is my play money. This is the money I'm allowed to blow on whatever I want. And then that's guilt-free spending. Because if I work for it, I want to also enjoy it. So I have the long-term, the short-term, the media. I've got like 23 different accounts. Now I think I've got more now. I think it's jumped up to 27. Wow. See, someone has to go with me because I've got like five or six. And people are like, huh, you don't need that many accounts. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> See, people, are you listening? How much? 27. Yeah, something like that. They've all got money in there. They don't want that sitting there dormant. I don't just go around collecting accounts for no reason. No, but you make the money work for you, right? I ain't got time for spreadsheets. I like all my money. I set it as, so depending on what it's for, it's all in different pots. So I have different accounts for different things. Tax man, short-term saving, birthdays, holidays, my business stuff, my car stuff. So I ain't got time to be sitting down on spreadsheets all day long. I've got better things to do in my time. Different investments done on that. So they all just spread across different things. Also, if I ever get vet one bank, I've now got money in another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because there was a time in the UK where one of the banks went down and no one could get their money out and everyone was barling because they couldn't get no money out of the ATM. Yeah. You had another bank account, didn't it? <laughs> Some money in your house that you could have used. No, it's true. That is actually, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. So, so Darren, another thing I'm big on, I am so big on investment. I think that everyone should be educated on the art of investing because I think there's nothing easier than making sure you have money that works for you. I mean, you're making money in your sleep. Quite a lot of people that are interested in investing, but they don't know where to start or they don't know what to invest in or where to get that information and knowledge from. Because a lot of people out there, let's face it, just they get they become overwhelmed when they see, you know, a lot of figures and a lot of reading. So what would you say to those kind of people out there that want to invest, but they don't know where to start? I'll be real basic without no advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I'm going to say get an expert to help you. Mm-hmm. If it's not your area, because um, you you've got you know you've got people that will trade on the stock market, day trading, forex, Bitcoin, all of that type of stuff, and that's cool. Um, it depends on what type of person you are. Um, you've got to do, and I'd never tell people where to invest their money because everyone's different. You've got to do a risk profile. What a risk profile does, they'll ask you certain questions and they'll say, all right, for example, if the stock market was to crash, what would you do? If you heard the stock market was crashing or, your fund was crashing. What would you do? Would you would you take your money out and run? Would you put more money in? Would you take some money out but leave some in? What would you do? So you're, there's a series of questions that you'll get asked, and depending on how you answer all of those questions, will determine what type of investor you are, which essentially is your attitude to risk. Everyone wants a slot machine life, which means they want to put in as little as possible but get out as much as they can. But that's not what everyone's attitude is. Like the mm-hmm. idea of that. But their tolerance to risk is quite low. So, for example, if your tolerance to risk is is like a nine, ten, ten, that's like ten, that's like go Vegas, isn't it? Like you, you got a high risk tolerance. But if you've got a low risk tolerance, your money might be like you need to go. You put your money in government bonds and what have you. So you know, it's going to get a better return than in the bank, but it's it's more secure. You know, you might put your money in funds where you've got a fund manager that manages it and it's diversified across different companies. Or you're going into one stock. So there's different things to look at. First, do a risk profile and you get someone else to do it for you. But personally, I have someone else do all of my investments for me because I can't be asked with all the emotional roller coaster of watching your money go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Up. I love it. As sad as that is, I think. Yeah. Previously, like I was like, now, that's when I was more immature and I didn't understand how the stock market really worked. I'll get emotional. Like the first time I tried it, I was like, wait, hold on. I made £10. Yeah. Oh, no, I lost £5, Vex. So I was on this emotional roller coaster. I just what I can't take this. Now, I understand it's long term. Like the other day, I made like 56% return on some money overnight. 
Do you know what I mean? I made 33% on something else I did the other day. That was just because my attitude is different now. I'm the, by far not an expert at, at doing it myself, um, but I'm learning. But I pay someone else to do it for me because I'd rather do that. Like, what you have to understand, in business, you must work on your strengths and you hire your weaknesses. Things that you're good at, the things you're not good at, you get someone else to do. Give you another way. You work in your anointing. Your gifts will make room for you. So you just work in your anointing to work and let someone else work in their anointing and you collaborate. So I know where I know where my anointing is and I stay in my anointing. And then somebody else who's anointed to do something else, I'll pay them to do that. Gosh. This is all like nuggets of gold here. Um, I'm massive on reading and educating myself. And that's the same as well. If you had to, apart from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but if you had to give us one book that changed your life and your outlook on your finances, what would it be? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Before this, let me ask Daryl. Have you read The Money-Making Woman? No, I need to write that one down. I haven't read that one. Write it down one second. It's a good one. It's amazing. I would say, apart from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's the one book I read that, yeah, from the beginning of it, it sounds a bit like a Nigerian background and all that. But reading more into it, it's just an amazing book. Ah, I need to put make yeah. a note of that one. Is it, I should give him that to you because yeah, yeah, you have during the, the lockdown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Daryl, what would yours be? What would your? All right. So on my website, I've got my, my recommendations page. It's got like all of my favorite books. Right. So www.daryharper.com. D a r y l harper.com recommendations books. I would say there's loads of them. But I'm going to go back to one of the first ones I read, which actually was not about money. But the things that I learned and implemented made me more money. Does that make sense? Okay. So it wasn't directly about money. Because you can learn about money, but if you don't have the other things to go alongside it, you're still not. It was how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Nothing to do with money. There's more to do with leadership and the art of, of people. And, and, and building relationships with people because the reality is money comes from people. So if you can't, yeah. you can't get, if you can't, especially if you're in business, if you can't relate to people and find and understand how they work, how their mind works, what motivates and encourages them, how to build positive relationships, you're not going to, they're not going to part their money with you. Does that make sense? That book single-handedly changed my life when I read that book as well because I've reached that point that got me started with the whole consciousness about money but that book was the one that exploded my business which made me more money does that make sense yes yeah so that book by far is one i read that about four times i read it four times back to back that's what i so i didn't read it it was audible you know cds before audible was even around so every yeah. cd i listened to four times before i even listened to the second cd and my car was open university now if you come into my car you don't get a choice of what music you're listening to. This, this is not a DJ. I don't take requests. Right? You come into my car, you're listening to an audio book. You leave my car, you are leaving my car more intelligent than when you got into my car. Amen to that, yes. If you if you come out, if you've gone on a journey in your car and by the time you come out of the car, you ain't smarter than when you got in it, what would the heck were you doing? Like, like every journey, like if you're on a train, like I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to take public transport again, this whole coronavirus thing, I'm not. Yes. Public transport. <laughs> But if you're even walking somewhere on a journey on a train, how can at the end of listen, 
If you even leave your house, by the time you come back home, you must be than you were yes. when you left the house. Because if you didn't, yeah. what the heck have you been listening to the whole day? You just wasted yes. 24 hours and you had the opportunity yes. to, even if it was one thing, one nugget, one chapter, like 30 minutes of listening, how can you, how can you not be smarter the day after? Like, you got to be smarter than the day before, yeah. but not as smart as tomorrow. Yeah. That, so you should be always progressing. So that book there, How to Influence and Influence People, big. That book's amazing. Another one was um, Outwitting the Devil. But if you're going to listen to that on audio, don't listen to it at nighttime. It will freak you out. Um, it's literally... But, oh, another one. Yeah. The, the Wisdom of Andrew Carnegie or The Wisdom of Success. Outwitting the Devil, that one there is literally... A Napoleon, is it Napoleon Hill, I think, or somebody? Someone having an interview with the devil and they're literally talking about... The devil's talking about what he's going to do to basically destroy society and people so they don't have an understanding of money and mindset and what it's going to do in the educational system. And this was done like however many years ago. And everything that yeah. in that book is happening now. But it was really before this time. It was like years ago. Like the educational system, uh, how you're going to make families break up and drift and all that type of stuff is serious. Um, some other books as well that I really love. Obviously, The Richest Man in Babylon. That's another fantastic book. But how to influence and influence people is a must for everyone. And anything called John Maxwell and leadership, like if you're going to build something like a business, families, relationships, John Maxwell and leadership is fantastic as well. I'm, I'm really going to look into that. I am so going to look into that. Well, Daryl, you know, we have been so lucky to have had you today. So, you know, we thank you so much. You've given us and our listeners a wealth of information so you know what, people, there really is no excuse. <laughs> you know, if you don't like reading, you heard it here. If you don't like reading, you have no excuse because all you have to do is listen to this podcast, this episode, and get the information you need. So, yeah. So, you know, people, and I really do, as much as the coronavirus has been difficult for a lot of people and a lot of families, I somehow also think that, you know, it has kind of pulled certain people in the most amazing situation financially. And I think that it's all about seasoned opportunities out there. Just, you know, I know it's doom and gloom, but there there are little golden nuggets out there, you know, and if you can see those opportunities, then it's all good. Right, Daryl? Like my business has exploded since Corona. Yeah. Uh, there's people that are going to win in this time, people are going to lose. The people that are progressive and prepared and they're ready to adjust and adapt to what's happening now, those are the ones that are going to win. The people that can sit there like complain, don't try and change anything. They're going to be the ones, they're not just going to fail now, they're going to always fail. And and I don't believe in failure, I believe in feedback, but I'm talking about failure because you've given up. No, absolutely. 100%. Well, thank you so much for giving up your time and, and, you know, educating us today. My pleasure. I guess that's it for another episode. Yes, that's it. I mean, when I heard about the financial part of it, I was like, Nobody wants to do finances at this time, you know, with everything happening. And I was wondering how it's going to go. But honestly, it's been such an incredible um, session with you and for giving us the basics, the fundamentals of life. You know, you didn't take us too far from practicals or from reality. I know our listeners will be able to relate. Oh, thank you, Daryl. All right, guys. Until next time, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.